Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at Full for Four Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, friend in life, the man who's changing projections around the clock, none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? I think that would uh, apply friend in life, changing rankings around the clock. It would apply to our guest as well. Guest of honor, you mentioned, is of course, friend in life, one of best friends in life, honestly, and former roommate in life. Of course, he has established the run's own, the great Evan Silva. And I know also, Silva, you have been very busy this time of year. Yeah, geez. And and actually, we're going to jump, I think, right into uh, some injuries that occurred very recently. I'll be interested to, to hear the adjustments that you guys made with regard to like Terry McLaurin, Jackson Smith and Jigba, those type of guys. Be, I mean, because, get- the, because, because those are guys that people are drafting in the top 100 consensus, you know. Let's get right into it then, because... We discuss at the beginning of every show, risers and fallers, and those two injuries are most prudent with the two biggest draft weekends on deck for everyone. And let's start with Terry McLaurin, who was previously going as a mid to low end wide receiver two, but now we are looking at reportedly a four to six week injury. We don't know the exact extent of the timeline he could miss, but Paulson so far now with McLaurin potentially out of the picture. How far are you moving him down, and what are you doing with his surrounding teammates? Well, maybe you should update the uh, where you're hearing that. I did see uh, Dr. Chow say he thought maybe a six-week IR stint. I've also seen multiple reports where they are optimistic about him being ready for week one. So I'm still yeah. like in the... I'm like a little bit in the fall. I moved him down a little bit. I'm not going to panic. And, you know, I, I still want him. Uh, but until I hear he's going to miss multiple games, I mean, they're calling him day to day. We still have a few weeks until the season starts. So, you know, if he misses week one or is, you know, limited week one, that doesn't affect my love for him or my ranking of him too much. You know, he's one of my uh, primary middle round targets. Love him in the fourth or fifth round. I think he's going to drop now into the fifth round pretty consistently, maybe even lower. And, uh, you know, I think he's, I mean, you just have to kind of do this injury research and figure out who you believe and what, you know, what timeline do you believe? I mean, sometimes the teams lie, as you both know. Uh, Sometimes they're just rosy and optimistic. Uh, Sometimes the doctors are wrong. It's not like these doctors are always right about these injuries. So, uh, you know, multiple reports came out quickly that he was going, they were, you know, x-rays were negative. They were excited or thinking, it was pretty positive that he was going to be uh, available for week one, or at least optimistic. Uh, so that's what I'm going off of right now until I hear it differently. Last night in a 14-team league, Silva, so a little bit of adjustment there. I will say McLaurin fell to the Michael Pittman, Mike Evans tier of wide receivers, which is basically two rounds deeper. And that's when I took him as my wide receiver five saying I can actually just pad for his starts at the beginning of the year if he were to miss time. And so that's how far I would let him fall and then take him with ease, honestly. But what adjustments are you making? Because I know your top 150 on establishedrun.com are now updated for it. Yeah, well, I, I didn't actually make any updates because I'm in the same boat as Paulson and I have not moved him down yet because I was going off of those that initial expectation that he was day-to-day and that he still had a chance to be ready for week one. Now we have, you know, no disrespect, but Twitter doctors coming out and saying that it could be worse than what we were hearing initially. So I'm, I'm like literally in lockstep with Paulson. I guess I'm in the fog. I'm going to go look at the rankings again and see if I can move them down, if it's justifiable to move them down. 
but um, I'm still going off the initial day-to-day projection. Let me ask you this then, Paulson. What did you do with Jahan Dotson? Because I think that's going to be a big riser for everyone. And initially, I was high on him, but I wasn't high on him as consensus because he did get there on touchdowns last year. Seven touchdowns on 35 receptions. It was it was slightly concerning for me. But we do know, at least in those last five starts when he returned from injury, he did out-target Terry McLaurin, 35 to 34. So there is a range of outcomes there where he leads the entire team in target share on the full year. Yeah, there's a couple of things now going with going on with Dotson because the McLaurin injury might boost him at the start of the season. Uh, Sam Howell look is looking really good. Uh, so I think we're going from, you know, everybody's worried about Howell to now, oh, he might provide at least league average quarterback play, which would be better than what McLaurin and Dotson, you know, have seen. Certainly McLaurin has been through the ringer when it comes to his quarterback play. Uh, but Dotson is just one of these guys that has been flying under the radar. I think he's going to get steamed a little bit here. Uh, I did move him up. Uh, I did move McLaurin down a little bit to 19. I think I had him at 15 or 16 before that. And that that moved Dotson up from maybe 35 to 30. Uh, if, if you look at Dotson's season, he's flying under the radar, I think, because of you know that injury that he had. But he was a fantasy wide receiver 21 uh, through the first uh, four weeks prior to injury. Uh, 152 yards and four touchdowns with 12 catches. He returned in week 10. He didn't get up to starter snaps until week 13. And at that point, John, you, you alluded to it. He rattled off five for 54 and a touchdown, four for 105 and a touchdown, six for 76 and a touchdown, three for 37, and then three for 72. Uh, if those injury games are removed, he averaged about 12.1 fantasy points per game, about 55 yards receiving. He did average 0.78 touchdowns per game which you also alluded to that he's being a little bit touchdown heavy but you know 55 yards uh, a game from a rookie uh, in his healthy games is really impressive he obviously good route runner did very well over at Matt Harmon's reception perception charting Uh, I think he is a really solid you know upside pick there in this maybe the seventh round uh, if you can get him there I know you have high stakes drafts coming up Silva I've already done two main events you have some on deck and right now in FFPC $2,000 12-team leagues, Jahan Dotson's being drafted at the beginning of the eighth round. His blockers, like if we're trying to move him up, are Mike Evans, George Pickens at the beginning of the seventh round. If you want to go a little bit further than that, Brandon Ayuk in the mid-sixth round. Is that where you prefer to push Dotson now, or do you want to keep him around the seven-round range? Yeah, I mean, if we're going to react to the the Twitter doctors uh, painting a, a, a more difficult return timetable for Terry McLaurin while still leaning on the initial projection of day-to-day has a chance to be ready for week one. Maybe, maybe this, maybe the smart reaction is to maybe tick McLaurin down a little bit and then react by moving Jahan Dotson up because I mean, at least for me, I have not been super high on Jahan Dotson. Um, But as you mentioned, Sam Howell has has played really well for the second straight preseason. And every, every time that we've seen him, he looks like an NFL quarterback. Um, the, my, my thing for Jahan Dotson, I did not love him coming out of college. He wasn't a, a stellar athlete. He's, you know, on the smaller side, but you're right. He did play well as a rookie with the somewhat exception of that, you know, that that astronomical TD rate. Um, and, and we had Matt Harmon on the show and his charting of Jahan Dotson was really strong, as Paulson mentioned as well. So, Maybe I think that that's probably what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go make these changes like probably like right after this show, 
tick Terry McLaurin down a little bit, move Jahan Dotson up into a range where, you know, like my my readers are, are going to have a chance to get him because right now I have him like wide receiver 41 or something like that. And you're not you're not getting him at that kind of a ranking. And with your partner, Adam Leventan, also being a Penn State alum, just don't tell him you're ranking on Jahan Dotson. The second injury we need to we need to discuss ahead of 12-team drafts for everyone this weekend is the one to Jackson Smith and Jigba because we're also hearing some shady timelines. Pete Carroll has reportedly said three to four weeks. What that means for Pete Carroll with his rose-colored glasses on, who the hell knows? The way I've been viewing it is that the Seahawks buy is that first segment of the year. It's week five. And so if we're looking at Jackson Smith and Jigba being brought along slowly or missing the first couple of games, why wouldn't the team just put them on the four-week pup list and bring them back week six? So that's going to be my personal outlook on it. But Paulson, you have already been high on Lockett throughout the year. I know Silva's high on Metcalf. So how are you now changing the projections for this situation? Uh, and this is one where uh, I haven't done anything yet. I'm looking at it. I have Jack uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba at 39. So I've been low on him relative to ADP. Uh, I just think Tyler Lockett is the best receiver uh, there. He is getting a tad old, uh, but I, I'm not to a point where I'm worried about it. His metrics were phenomenal last year, open score, reception, perception, all that stuff. Uh, so I have, you know, I have Lockett ahead of Metcalf. I'm sure I'm in the vast minority of, of analysts that, I just, I, he, Metcalf is one of my guys I'm just not getting any of because of his ADP. He's just, he's just gone too early. I like him, but I just don't like him, you know, around two rounds, three rounds ahead of Lockett. So I haven't done anything yet because I don't want to get too crazy on Lockett. Uh, I think his ADP is now going to rise to where he's no longer, you're no longer getting him as a value. I mean, Connor Allen and I just got him at 603 in a main event draft. Very happy to get him there. I think now you're going to see him go near that four or five turn. And I would certainly do that still because I've got him ranked ahead of some of those guys going in the fifth round. Um, but I haven't made any big adjustments yet because where I had Jeff Jackson Smith and Jigba was already fairly low. Um, you know, if he does miss a game or two, I don't think it affects his outlook too drastically. If he does go on to a four game IR, then certainly you're going to have to take that into account. He does. He did look good in the preseason. Um, but I had him to a point, I had him ranked at a point where, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it now, Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, Zay Flowers, those guys are right below him. I'm starting to think about who I might take over him uh, if you're assuming maybe a two to four game, uh, week absence. And Lockett being ahead of Metcalf in your rankings does not mean you're drafting them as such. That just means be on the lookout because, as you said, their ADP was three to four rounds apart. Uh, now, though, Silva, I would imagine we're bringing Lockett closer to Metcalf and probably keeping Metcalf the same as a second, third round turn player. Yeah, see, I've been really high on DK Metcalf in that wide receiver 12 to wide receiver 14 range, but I've also been super high on Tyler Lockett and like the the wide receiver 18 range. I mean, Tyler Lockett is like almost every year one of my highest drafted wide receivers, and that has not changed this year. I mean, I like he falls to the sixth round, and, and I, I think he's like a third or fourth round player. So, I mean, I, I just get so much of them. I don't think I'm going to move him up off of this because I, I like Paulson, was already kind of low on, on Jackson Smith and Jigba. I had him as the 88th overall player. And I did tick him down last night, like five spots to 93, while still 
waiting on more information. I think that, well, I have no idea what Pete Carroll means by three to four weeks. My assumption would be that it would mean, hey, we're not going to have him for three or four weeks from yesterday when Pete Carroll said that. And then therefore Pete Carroll thinks that he could be back. Like, I mean, that, that would be reasonable to be expected to expect Jackson Smith and Jigba to be back like no later than week three. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of putting the Pete Carroll stuff to the side right now. I, I like your analysis that it makes all the sense in the world for Jackson Smith and Jigba to sit out until after that week five bye, and then we don't have him for the first five weeks of the season. I mean, at that point, I mean, I think that I probably got to move him down to um, like one pick 100 or, or 110, maybe even. Could I and go could ahead. I add something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's like where I have him ranked, he's going in this weird area. I don't know if you guys have seen it as well. Like the maybe the end of the eighth round, there's just it just it gets really weird at receiver where you might have guys that you are going in the 13th round or that maybe your next guy ranked. Um, so I, I, I feel like I don't like anybody after some of these guys go off. So I'm, I'm a little reluctant to maybe move him below. Zay, you know, I could go Zay Flowers, and then you're getting into Juju Smith-Schuster, Zay Jones for me. Um, and these are guys you can get later, Romeo Dobbs, you know. So like, – Like Jackson Smith and Jigba has a chance to be a fantasy starter at some point. Those guys kind of that, – that's not really – you know, I mean, those are like wide receiver fives, right? I, I think that's when it comes down to how you've drafted to that point. So if we're all moving JSN to that range of drafts, like this weekend I had a 12-team super flex and it got to like the 14th round and Juju was still on the board, but also I had five receivers and Tank Bigsby was there. And so I'm not saying Tank Bigsby will outscore Juju, but I was looking for ceiling. I didn't care about Juju's high floor. And so I think like moving JS into that range then tells you if you're if you still have room on your bench to just like and you have those starts that we think he's going to miss protected, I still don't mind like just stashing him and drafting him there as a high ceiling, hopefully hitting in the second half of the season. Personally. And either way, Silva, I think that also tells us we're high on Geno Smith still. Like that's really yeah. the key here is that Geno Smith is gonna ball this year. Yeah, where where are you at on uh, on Geno, Paulson? I have him at nine. Yeah, I mean he's my he's my primary late round target. Uh, I, you know, building draft strategies around him if I want to go late round. I mean I think there is some appeal to grabbing an early guy, but you know you look at some of these ADPs and different different formats and you can get Geno, you know, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth round. That's really appealing to me because I think he's got a great chance to repeat his top six uh, finish from last year. Okay, reminder, you can go to underdog.com and adjust for all these projection and ranking changes today. We are here, though, to talk about our fades for the two biggest upcoming draft weekends of the year. And as the guest of honor, Silva, I would love to hear your first player that you are fading in all your drafts. So I get cold feet on this one. You know, I mean, I get cold feet on, on fades in, in general very often because, I mean, this is like a time for optimism. You know, you, you can paint a rosy picture for almost any player in the NFL, and you can find a positive opinion on almost any player in the NFL at this time of year. And then the games start, and things get a lot harder then. And you fade um, everyone. Right, right. Yeah, right. Well, I mean – by the end of the season, only 25 players really matter 
in fantasy. You know, right right now it feels like 200 players have a chance to matter. You know, um, I'm going to go with Brees Hall, and he's coming off a torn ACL and torn left meniscus late last October. Um, I think that he, well, and uh, Rich Samini, longtime Jets beat writer, reported that the reason that the Jets signed Dalvin Cook was to be their lead back early in the season, and they're going to ease Brees Hall in. I do think that Brees Hall will be a big factor, a bigger factor as the season progresses and might be one of those 25 players that really, really matter at the end of the season. But for a guy who people are still taking – I mean, it's almost like people have take lock. Like people are still taking him in the fourth and fifth and early fifth rounds. Like when I draft a player there, I want to have them be startable for the first month of the season. Like I want to start three and one. I want to start four and oh. I don't want to have, you know, a bunch of players I can't freaking use on my fantasy roster early in the season. And again, when I'm drafting in that range, I need that from my player. The Jets gave Dalvin Cook starter money, okay? They flirted with Jameer Gibbs in the draft. They flirted with Jamal Williams in free agency. Um, they drafted Izzy Abinaconda out of pit. So just the, the vibes that they're giving off, the signals that they're giving off, I think reflect the way that they're going to ease Brees Hall in. Brees Hall is running in a straight line very fast right now, but he's not consistently making cuts out there on the field. And he, uh, to me, he looks like a player who's going to be used in spot duty. And I mean, that's like fully what I expect for the first five or six weeks of the season. So I'm just I'm not drafting him where he's going right now in drafts. Paulson, you've had an extra week to think on this since the last time we talked about rankings changes. So what are your thoughts now on where Brees Hall should be going? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I was in that aforementioned uh, main event draft. We were drafting at 510. Uh, Brees Hall was on the board. Uh, we passed on him for Drake London. Uh, we already had three running backs on the roster. So that was our justification for that, or that was the reasoning. It was really weird to see Hall there. Uh, I was not expecting it. I'm looking at his ADP in the main event now, 502. Uh, so Evan's right on with this, you know, four or five turn is where he's still going. If you're drafting for the last half of the season, I can see it. If you're drafting your third running back, I could see it. If you're trying to do a running back heavy sort of plan, but if you're going to be counting on him in September to win games for you, that seems really dicey. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it was weird because they signed Dalvin cook and he's supposed to be healthy. Hall's supposed to be, on the pup. And then the next thing you know, Hall's off the pup and cooks on the pup with his shoulder. Like he's had this shoulder injury, you know, we've been worried about it for years. Uh, so, you know, there's no guarantee that Dalvin cook is even playing in October. We'll see. Um, in terms of just getting hit on that shoulder once or twice and all of a sudden he's out. So it's tough. Like I think in the fifth round, it's fair. I think sixth round you start getting, there's some upside, you know, points you could make, but there are other players that are, going in that range that are really interesting, like Alexander Madison or uh, Damian Pierce, who's kind of trending up now because of his preseason snaps. So, you know, there's no reason to run out there and, and grab Hall when you can get some other big touchbacks in that range. And for me, Silva, this four to six week span that the Jets are, and I believe they're speaking the truth, trying to 
bring Brees Hall along slowly. I just don't know, even with one of the league's best defenses, if that even carries over. I don't know how often they'll be able to even run the ball because they come out the gates with the Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs, Broncos on the road, and the Eagles. It's literally the league's toughest schedule before their bye through week six. And so it just seems like an uphill battle for Dalvin Cook as well. Not to mention the Twitter doctors, at least in terms of Brees Hall's injury. We'll see how the workload shakes out. But the Twitter doctors have said, usually, historically, the players that bounce back in year one post-torn ACL are the athletes who earn targets. And Brees Hall was a 96th percentile athlete who had a 12.7% target share as a rookie and led all running backs with 21 air yards per game because he also earned deep shots out of the backfield. And so whenever we're moving him down, it's not even the workload. I look at the range of players that both of you mentioned. I look at Travis Etienne and Miles Sanders and... As much as I love Damian Pierce, he's playing with a rookie mobile quarterback. That alone is two red flags I just mentioned. And so if that's the case, I still just don't mind taking Brees Hall at the end of the fifth and sixth round. And I think that that's fair. And I think that we all are going to, you know, maybe fall in, in different places and on conundrum situations like this because it's it's just not an easy situation to figure out. So I understand taking a stand really – Either way, it's just I think I'm taking this particular stand because I don't think that Brees Hall has full workloads within his range of outcomes, at least not for the first month or so of the season. And I, I would like to just underline that there's really – and maybe Evan agrees with this or maybe he doesn't, but he's not probably marking him off completely. If Brees Hall's there right. in the seventh round, right. Evan might take a shot at him. I, you know, I certainly would. So I might take him just, in the late fifth. Yeah, it's, it's bad ADPs. Uh, these are these are do not drafts at their current ADPs is what we're looking at. So it's not so much a bad player or a bad upside. It's it's the ADP is the problem. We will end the Brees Hall discussion on this silver because I think it is a prudent question for everyone drafting this weekend because it's a tear break. Would you take Najee Harris over Brees Hall? Right now I have Najee Harris ranked above Brees Hall. Um, I, I I probably would, although I don't think that Najee Harris's preseason has been especially promising with Jalen Warren taking a ton of snaps. So I might not take either of those guys, you know? And maybe maybe that's why the answer is just draft a receiver in that range instead. Yeah. Paulson, your first fade. I'm going to fade a tier of uh, quarterbacks, and we alluded to it earlier. Uh, this, this, I mean, I mean, really it starts with Deshaun Watson. I don't get the ADP for him. Uh I think if you're projecting his history as a fantasy quarterback, sure. But what we saw last year was bad. Uh, the The preseason reports have been really spotty. I don't know if you guys saw the last week or so. There just hasn't been many positive plays in the Cleveland passing game in camp, apparently. So Deshaun Watson, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, due to the concussion, thing scares me a little bit. I think I feel better about him in a, in a redraft where you get out of him as opposed to a, a best ball where you're kind of stuck with him. Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, maybe Aaron Rodgers, that, that tier of quarterbacks, I'm kind of fading them all. Uh, I might pull the trigger on Rodgers if he falls, but I would rather dra draft a, a Geno Smith, an Anthony Richardson, a, a Daniel Jones. I have those guys ranked ahead of that tier. Uh, so I'm, I'm basically avoiding the, the QB9 to QB12 range right now in, in ADP. I like where your head's at, but I don't want you to put Deshaun Watson in that tier. Because, again, 
Yes, the reports have been very bad out of camp. But even last year, at least we got six carries per game from the quarterback position. We saw him have five dropbacks in the first week of preseason, and he had three carries within those five dropbacks. And also last year, 14.3 points per game, a career low. That was the first time for his entire career he averaged less than 20. I genuinely think it's a situation where you just suck it up and say he cannot be that bad with a career low and touchdown rate again. And so I still think he should be in the Trevor Lawrence tier. Your thoughts, Silva? I have him in the Trevor Lawrence tier. Um, I have him at I, – I, I came out hot on him, and I actually moved him down a tier like two days ago. Um, I, I still have him quarterback eight. I, I have him actually in front of Trevor Lawrence just because of that rushing upside. At the same time, you know, the, these reports are concerning. The dude is – we have not seen the dude play quality football in a long time. So this is another situation where if you're going to be bearish on Deshaun Watson, I get it. I'm probably a little bullish on him. I, I've drafted a decent amount of him as well because of where he goes and, and his theoretical upside. But, I mean, I, I, I really get both sides of this argument. I am coming out the gates hot. Because I don't think Saquon Barkley is a first-round player. I don't think that does justice to Nick Chubb, A.J. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tony Pollard, all who deserve the last four spots of the first round. What I think is happening is that people who missed out on Saquon Barkley's league-winning second-round ADP last year for recency bias are now chasing it. Even though that was the first time in his career he was healthy for a full season, that was a career-high target share and leading the Giants in targets. And we don't think that team-high in targets is going to happen again, given all of the options they added, whether it be a full offseason to integrate Isaiah Hodgins, who they added in Week 9, or Darren Waller, who is glowing out of every report in camp. So I want to take Saquon Barkley out of the first round and instead push those players I mentioned up Paulson. Uh, sure. I mean, I have... Uh, Pollard ahead of him, half PPR. I have Derrick Henry ahead of him. Uh, I have B. John Robinson ahead of him, Nick Chubb, the guys, some of the guys you mentioned. I think that's reasonable. Uh, you certainly, he's not going to be the wide receiver one in the in the passing game like he kind of was last year. Uh, I do think that he's a solid second round, or very solid second round pick. I mean, I think he's he's going to be the bell cow and all that. You're just saying don't 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 use one of your last couple picks in the first round on him. Instead, go with one of these other guys, right? Correct. I don't think he has the ceiling of the players I mentioned at the end. Uh, and usually in home leagues, it's a Moan Raw and Tony Pollard who get left out. What do you I think, think Evan? Wrong. I just recently moved Tony Pollard ahead of him. I've got him like neck and neck with Nick Chubb right now because Saquon Barkley still, I think, can catch 60 passes. Nick Chubb might catch 30 this year, uh, but that would be like a, a lot for him. Um, my some of my optimism stems from there's just really weak competition uh, for the, the for the workload with the Giants and I and I believe the Giants should be better than they were last year. So I, I think as a team, you know, from a team standpoint, and, and I mean Saquon Barkley is just his workload is so secure. I've had him hovering in that 11 to 15 range overall throughout the the, the early draft process. And I'm probably going to keep him in there, but probably toward the back end. So actually, I probably would agree with you. I, I, I do not want to take him late in the first round. I, I, if I'm going to take him, it's probably going to be early to mid second round. 
It is not a hard fade because I do think the mid to early second round is just fine. But if we are drawing hard lines in the sand for everyone to know what to do with the back end, Saquon Barkley does not make my first round at all. Silva, your next fade. So this is another one. Really talented young player, Javante Williams, and the reports on him have been pretty positive. We saw him play in the second preseason game. I would fully expect him to be available for week one. Still, coming off an ACL, LCL, and PCL tear last October. And I think that even in a best-case scenario, he is going to share time with Samaj P. Ryan, who is one of these players that is a, a jack of all of, of many trades and probably master of none, but is also a player that the Broncos invested in. Specifically, you know, the, the new coaching staff targeted him to go get him. And he's a player that, you know, he's one of these like Jamal Williams-type players who – coaches trust and therefore he's just he's going to end up playing a lot i mean he played over joe mixon in many passing situations last year and i think that that's going to be the case this year i just think that in a best case scenario javante williams is going to be a a committee back in a suspect offense you know the the results of which are very much remain to be seen because uh, you know coming up with russell wilson coming off all those struggles from last season And Williams did catch four or five targets in his first preseason appearance. You mentioned this past week. I've really been struggling with this one, Paulson. I I try to back up as a veteran of therapy and say, is this me or is this the situation I'm in? And I don't know if I'm being hard-headed with Javante because I think we should be looking at the long-term outlook, as Silva mentioned. Like, we should be looking at, you have to be historically an anomaly to be right about bouncing back miraculously from this PCL torn ACL tear. Like players just don't come back and perform well from it. But here Javante Williams is out of nowhere, somehow on the field. And so I just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I think the bull, the bull case is uh, Sean Payton fixes this offense. Uh, Javante Williams is healthy enough to, you know, take a 60, 40, workload uh you know into the back half of the season and maybe he finishes as a mid-range rb2 and the the bear case on it is that he's in a timeshare you know a la uh alvin kamara uh mark ingram was were in uh in new orleans and the offense isn't nearly as good as it was in new orleans and so now you've got a guy playing half the snaps seeing maybe 12 to 15 touches a game uh sharing time with P Ryan and he's probably going to be an RB three in that regard. So there's a lot of question marks here. I have him at 27 right now. I'm looking at the guys ahead of him, James Connor, who just this Arizona team terrifies me this year. Uh, JK Dobbins, James cook ahead of him uh, and behind him, you know, right behind him, Khalil Herbert, Isaiah Pacheco, Alvin Kamara. So, you know, that's where I'm kind of comfortable with him. He's his ADP is 24. So he's probably going to go off the board. Uh, a little bit before I'm willing to take him. Uh, what do you think, uh, Evan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would generally agree with that, yes. Every time I look up when he's drafted in 12-team leagues, all I know is I'm shocked. Uh, I just can't wrap my head around the ADP, so that probably means, right or wrong, I'm just going to be missing out throughout the offseason. Paulson, your next fade. Uh, my next fade. Uh Guys, what do we think about Jonathan Taylor's situation? Uh, he, I he, a, he's, he's on my list too. So. Yeah, I let's talk about it. I, I, you know, I just moved him down as we were discussing this because I was like, "Oh, where do I have Taylor?" Okay, that that's too high. I, 
you know, good player. Uh, where there are some concerns heading into you know this offseason with uh, the new the new quarterback there, Richardson, probably going to steal some goal line carries. Uh, how much is, is he going to throw to uh, Taylor? Probably not very much. So, you know, where where does that leave Taylor? Is his offense going to be bad? And then on top of it, he's injured, or maybe he's injured. Uh, and then on top of that, he wants a trade. So things could work out well for him if he's actually healthy and not really injured and ends up with the Dolphins or something. I think that would be, you know, a, a good situation for him. Um, but I'm having, I'm, I'm just letting somebody else take that sort of risk in the third round. Uh, he's going near that two, three turn still. And I, I just don't want any part of it. I'm, I'm going to let somebody else have that headache. And that's just it, Silver. Regardless of where he's traded, given the reported back injury, like we don't know all the red flags there. Uh, where are you moving him? Like, where would you be willing to draft him when he falls? Well, you know, I, I get like random questions like, well, if Jonathan Taylor falls to the fourth round, you know, the fourth, fifth turn, like I got to take him, right? And I would say definitely. Um, I also am still optimistic that that the Colts are going to give him some sort of a pay raise to make him happy and he's going to go out there and, you know, maybe play for $5 million this year. And, you know, the, it's it's fully guaranteed and, and all that just to make him happy. And then he, you know, walks after this season. I still think that that is actually the likeliest end game. A lot of my concerns stem from the offensive environment though, in Indianapolis, he's never been a big pass catcher. And Anthony Richardson had an extremely low throw rate to running backs in college. And I just think that the way that they want to play the Colts is to, um, I think they, they're going to want to run the, the crap out of the ball right behind Quentin Nelson. So, um, and I mean, that theory, that theoretically could be good for Jonathan Taylor to get a lot of carries. You know, I mean, I, I expect him to, to get a lot of carries as long as he's out there. But I, I also think that the Colts could be pretty bad this year. I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and probably more downs with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. I don't think the Colts are going to win a lot of games. And I don't think Jonathan Taylor is going to compensate by catching a lot of passes. That's just not ever and ever something that he's done a lot of. So I have like legitimate on-field concerns about Jonathan Taylor. Also, he it seems like he's still not over this ankle injury for last year. Maybe that's part of like a hold a holdout situation. But I mean, he he kept aggravating that high ankle sprain last year. And I mean, I mean, we He's done nothing to prove that he's he's passed that injury. All with a rookie and mobile quarterback, right? Which has not fared well historically for running backs. So I agree with you. Even if health wise all was fine, I honestly still had him to start the year at the end of the second round. Um, and you just usually he just doesn't go there. Um, even in home leagues. So I, I think he's fine, as you said. If he dips, sure, but it takes a massive dip to get confident in that ADP. Paulson has heard this rant already, Silva, so you're just going to be my personal guest at dinner right now. But I think it's wrong to extrapolate TJ Hawkinson's volume with the Vikings. One, because that was an offense without Jordan Addison, so we're already doing it incorrectly. Two, he averaged fewer fantasy points per game with the Vikings than he did with the Lions. And three, as the third tight end off the board in drafts right now, the fact is he still wasn't a ceiling player with Minnesota. He had one top five finish with Minnesota, and he had one top five finish with the Lions. And now he's being jammed up the boards for all of these reasons that don't make any sense whatsoever. And so given 
that entire environment, I think he's one of the easier players to fade inside the top 60 at any position. Um, I, you know, I did a podcast with JJ Zacharyson and he was down on TJ Hawkinson as well. So, I mean, that's two voices that I respect being down on. I mean, I have TJ Hawkinson as the number three, but you know, I mean, he's not, he's not anywhere near the tier, uh, with Travis Kelsey, obviously. And he's, and I, yeah, I have him in the same tier as Mark Andrews, but he's still way down the board. From Mark Andrews, I I don't shoot. I don't. I can't even remember drafting. And I've done like thirty five drafts. I don't think I've taken T.J. Hawkinson once, even though I have him as the tight end three. So I guess I would lean toward siding with you. But I mean, he's not a player that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not a player that I've been drafting. And Paul, so what we're seeing now in high stakes drafts too is Darren Waller's inching closer. Darren Waller's become the tight end four in main event drafts, and he's just getting so much closer to that third, fourth round T.J. Hawkinson range. Yeah, and Hawkinson uh, is dealing with some sort of balance uh, issue with his, he has like some, some kind of ear infection uh, as well, which is sort of, I think, playing into a little bit, maybe his uh, ADP falling. But, um, you know, I agree and disagree kind of with your points. Uh, Adam Thielen vacated 109 targets, I think it is. I think Addison can slide into that and not impact Hawkinson a whole lot. Um, he did score more fantasy points with the Lions. I think there's, you know, I had some touchdowns there, but his his targets went from 6.1 with Detroit to 8.6 with Minnesota. It's hard to find that sort of usage at the position. I think you know when I see him going in the fourth or fifth round of PPR leagues, or I think that's I think that's a very fair price if you want to have one of these guys that is a top option for his team. I don't know that Jordan Addison is going to come in and affect him too much. And, you you know, you mentioned that he was only top five once uh, after the trade. Is that, is that correct, John? Correct. Yeah. I mean, he he was the tight end three from week nine to week 18. Uh, That included a very quiet week 18. Uh, I think he might've been, if you exclude week 18, which doesn't matter. I don't even use, look at it. Usually Um, he was the tight end two. Now there's a huge difference between him and Travis Kelsey. Uh, I think, I think you guys would probably agree he's not as talented as maybe uh, Kelsey or Kittle or even maybe a uh, uh, who's the guy from the from Philly, Goddard, 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 Mark Andrews. I think those are they're, they're better tight ends in terms of receiving, but Hawkinson's pretty solid. I mean, I wouldn't fade him at his ADP. Silva, your final fade. My final fade is going to be oh god you, you guys you guys are gonna hate this one let's hear Cause it because everyone hates this one Bijan Robinson ooh yeah I have Bijan Robinson as like I don't know, these guys are always hovering around but it's like the fifteen to seventeen range and I think that first of all I don't know how good the Falcons are gonna be Adam Levitan like thinks the Falcons are like win, win the friggin' Super Bowl but. The I like I mean I don't know how how good is Desmond Ritter, you know I I have no idea. Um, I, I can absolutely see a scenario where Arthur Smith messes with all of us and is you know I, like I I think Tyler Algier is a great late round pick. I mean I, I could see a scenario where Tyler Algier gets like 150 carries. Um, I could see us although B. John Robinson is a really good receiving back. 
I could see a scenario where the Falcons just aren't throwing like at all almost. And he winds up when a, a when he is targeted, he's highly efficient, but he just doesn't get that many targets. I could see a scenario where Cordero Patterson, although he is injured right now, is back by like week two or week three and is picking up, you know, five, six, seven touches per game. And I mean that that, you know, and it winds up being a three man backfield on a bad team. So look, I love Bijan Robinson, the number eight overall pick in the draft. You know, I I, I think that he's gonna be a really good and efficient player. Um, but I, I I cannot take him where he's going, which right now I believe his ADP is at like number nine overall. This sounds like my Saquon Barkley argument. It's you're basically just trying to push that player out of the first round. Um, and it's very volatile, Paulson, because we generally just don't know. I think Levitan's point is probably because their schedule is just so damn easy. And even like as much as we hate Arthur Smith for fantasy, he's a damn good play caller. Like last year, the Falcons faced the highest rate of eight-man boxes, and their running back still collectively led the league in yards per carry. He just knows what he's doing, despite like using all these different guys. So, Paulson, really though. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Bijan, but also, like Silva said, it leads to Algier being a value and elite contingency option at worst. Uh, we, when I say we, Connor Allen and I in this aforementioned main event league uh, had the 10th pick, and we took Nick Chubb over Bijan Robinson. Bijan almost made it to us at 203. Uh, that would have created a dilemma. We ended up with AJ, we yeah, ended up there, uh, AJ Brown there in the second. So, uh, Bijan, I, I got a little bit spooked by all the Algier talk from from uh, Arthur Smith, um, and I, I'll just go ahead and say that Kyle Pitts was one of my fades. You know, just because I don't trust that he's going to be on the field enough in a full time receiving role uh, to you know merit his ADP. So I think he's a fantastic player. Not the usage might not be there. So that's kind of the same question with Bijan. I mean, as the eight, number eight pick in the 2023 draft, he's one of seven running backs since 2010 to be drafted inside the top 10. As rookies, those other six backs averaged 296 touches for 1,500 total yards and 11.7 touchdowns. So now I think if yeah, I'll pose the question to you, if we knew that he was going to get 300 touches, would we feel a lot better about his ADP? Or is that what you would need to, to sort of support this ADP? I just worry because the way he's being used um, in both camp and preseason games right now as more of a receiver, that's great. He has a great ceiling. But again, like Falcons running back two, weekly RB2 last year, still averaged 10 touches per game. And Tyler Algier literally led the league in rushing over the final month of the season. Like he's also very good. And so it just seems like a situation where why would they put Bijan at risk, even with the high draft capital and keep Algier off the field altogether. So I still think Bijan is a 300 to 320 touch guy. He could easily reach top five running back in points per game on those touches. Cause he's so damn good, but there's just, there's so much volatility there. I do agree. It, it's not as safe. I don't think as everyone assumes. Silva. It sounds like we're all just talking each other in circles with Bijan. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I mean, I don't, people just think that he's an absolute lock to crush. And, you know, I mean, people were taking him in the top six earlier in the offseason. Yeah. I, I think his ADP has come down a little, like just a little bit to where, again, I think he's number nine or number 10 overall, depending on where you look. 
But um, look, I, I would definitely take him in the second round. I, I do not have him in the first round. Regardless of your I, I mean, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I would say like maybe the top 24 players overall in fantasy are all really good picks. I mean, they're they're really good picks. And 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 we're trying to nitpick and, and just create li- you know little divides at the top of the board to to determine who we personally are going to select there. And so I, I just I don't think it's as cut and dry. I think Bijan could, you know, you could take him as high as number six overall, I suppose. But I also think that you could take him at number 16, and there and there are fair arguments for both sides of that coin. Speaking of little divides, I'll go to my final one in DJ Moore because last year, career-high seven touchdowns, but it happened with a career low in yards per route run, 34th among all wide receivers, and less than double-digit fantasy points per game, uh, 9.9, which was a four-year low for him. He's never recorded a 30% target share in his entire career. And now he's going to this offense that we logically think will pass more by default. Like the Bears 22.2 pass attempts per game last year was the lowest since the 1979 Chiefs. You would think they have to pass more per game. But even then, what I think is what's happening with DJ Moore being drafted as a low-end wide receiver too is that he's being dragged along just for Justin Fields' ADP when Justin Fields doesn't need any wide receiver to get there. Uh on those historically low pass attempts per game, he still finishes the QB6 in points per game. So I don't even need to stack Justin Fields at all if I draft him. So for me, in that range around Christian Watson, Deontay Johnson, Drake London, um, even Tyler Lockett, like to me, DJ Moore is a fade. Paulson. Yeah, and he was actually going to be my last. I don't know if I was getting one more, but he was going to be my last Hope it all in together. Great. As well. Uh, so I, I have him at wide receiver 30. He's going off the board wide receiver 20 so it's fair to say I don't have any DJ Moore this year and it's it's sad because he's a player I really like and I I draft a lot of him in in Carolina Um, but there's when you do top-down projections there's just some of these situations where you just can't get the player even if you wanted to get them to their ADP Uh, just looking at what's logically going to happen with the Bears what you know yes they are probably going to throw more they're they're signaling that they're going to throw more but this is not a uh, AJ Brown to the Eagles. This is not a Stefan Diggs to the uh, Bills type situation where we have an elite top 10, top five type receiver joining an offense. This is a top 15, top 20 type receiver joining the Bears. We have a quarterback who objectively was bad at passing the ball last year. And I'm just not sold that he's going to make this giant leap this year. He could, um, but not enough to that I'm going to, you know, go and, uh, invest in his number one receiver. I just don't think that the volume nor fields accuracy uh, and ability to move the ball downfield is going to be enough to support a wide receiver 20 for DJ Moore. Thoughts on DJ Moore, Silva. I am more optimistic than you, but I completely understand that um, from, especially from a stat projection standpoint, like, you know, Leone is, is our stat project stat projection guy. And I mean, he's like, what are you, what are you talking about Silva? You know, like, I mean, he can't make the math work. You know, the, the math is really tough to get DJ Moore to be like, you know, an upside wide receiver two to fit to that has a chance to finish as a low end wide receiver one, which is what you want from your wide receiver two picks at the same time. Like DJ Moore is 25 years old. I think that Justin Fields, 
will take a leap as a passer. That's kind of, you know, a, a faith-based prediction. I get it. The, the math isn't going to work. DJ Moore is not going to be a 130-plus target player. Um, I think he's going to be 105 to 120. I'd, I'd love it if he could get up to 120. Um, but, I mean, I, I believe in him as a player, and I believe that Justin in, in, in Justin Fields as a passer. Coming out of Ohio State, he was supposed to be like a pocket passer. Um, and now they've built up the offensive line to it. And, and look, he's a little bit of a slow processor. He doesn't always get the ball out as fast as he, as he needs to. Um, but I think that they've built up the offensive line enough to the point where he's going to get extra time to throw this year. And DJ Moore is going to have some big games. And I also think he's going to have some games where he, he goes like three for 31 on four targets. So I'm, I'm kind of, willing to live with that because I believe in the talent of both players, but there's absolutely going to be weekly volatility and the math. You, you can't make the math work on DJ Moore being that high upside wide receiver too. You've been living under a rock. If you haven't heard of establish the run, but Silva tell everyone where they can find the rest of your work. Um, at establish the run on Twitter and establish the run.com on the interwebs. Guys, thanks so much for having me, Paulson. It had been a, a little while since we've talked, so it was uh, cool to be on with you. Dago, we talk all the time. Too much, probably. Yep. But, um, but yeah, uh, let's let's kick some ass this season, though. Promo code YouTube for 25% off at 444.com. Paulson, what else do you have on the site for everyone to close the show? Uh, corporate is demanding that I get week one projections up. I hate doing it three weeks in front of week one, but I'm doing my best here to – uh, get the projections up so all the DFS heads can start crunching numbers and looking at salaries and, and everything. So that's what I'm working on right now. And I believe I have a uh, targets article that is also due soon. So uh, those would be my two tasks the rest of this week. Yeah, corporate is, on, corporate is on my ass too right now. About a it's bunch corporate of stuff, time so. of year. Lots of phone calls <laughs> in the background. This is where they step up and then go away for the next six months. They're like, why, why, haven't, you put, why haven't you moved McLaurin's ranking yet? And I'm like... <laughs> Because, he, because he's supposed to be day-to-day. -day. What do you mean? 14-team <laughs> mock draft. Not on audio, but on the YouTube channel for everyone from last night if you want to check that out. Until our next bonus episode coming up Thursday afternoon, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you